Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by founding pastor John Ferguson as we kick off a brand new series, Radical Life. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right. How's everybody doing today? Boy, it feels like a heat wave out there, doesn't it? It's incredible. I guess that's the upside of negative temperatures. When it gets to be 15, you feel like it's the tropics again. Anyway, great to be here. Hey, let me ask you, who here loves to play or loved to play with Play-Doh when you were a kid? Raise your hand if you loved to play. Who would say, yeah, no, I still love to play with Play-Doh. All right? Yeah, some of you, but if, you, if that's how you feel, then you're going to fit in really well here this morning. You know, it's great, isn't it? Especially when it's just out of the container, right? You know, I mean, there's really something about that, that hunk of fresh Play-Doh. Am I right? I'll tell you what, let's just kind of like uh, open up our containers now, right? I want you to take that out and uh, take that fresh hunk of Play-Doh. Now, my container, uh, you know, I happen to have a little bit more Play-Doh than some of the rest of you, but I wanted you to actually be able to see it up here, okay? But what I want you to do is um, just kind of squish it up a little bit, all right? I mean, there's nothing like that fresh out of the container Play-Doh, is there? And if somebody near you doesn't have some, uh, why don't you go ahead and share some Play-Doh with them too, okay? I want everybody to kind of participate in this. But here's what I want you to do, okay? I'm gonna give you 30 seconds, all right, to shape that Play-Doh into whatever you want to shape it into. Be as creative or as uncreative as you like. I know it's early, it's Sunday morning, but you're going to have 30 seconds to go ahead and shape that Play-Doh starting right now, okay? I'm just going to have a guess when 30 seconds is up. But create that into something kind of creative, something that you want, you know, and remember that if you don't like how it turns out, the beautiful thing about Play-Doh, especially fresh out of the container, is what? You can just smash it up and start all over again, right? Okay, well, I got to get busy because I'm talking and not getting anything done here. All right, let's see what I can create. How are we doing? You guys coming up with something good? Yeah? All right, you need more time. Too bad. <laughs> That's the first time anybody has ever told me they want me to take more time. Wow, interesting. Okay. All right, what did you get? Anybody come up with something creative? This is mine, my attempt at a, a snowman. You recognize it, yeah, but it's yellow. I don't want to say what happened to that snowman, but you can just guess. All right. How did yours turn out? Did you come up with something interesting? Anybody? Show me some of yours. What do you got? All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not bad. Yeah. You guys did pretty well. All right. I'll tell you what, let's give ourselves a hand. All right. We've got some creative types here in the room. Very good. You know what? I got to thinking something though. I wonder when it comes to something like this Play-Doh and shaping things, I wonder sometimes if we do something similar with Jesus. Sounds like something a pastor would say, doesn't it? I wonder if sometimes we do something similar with Jesus, you know, kind of shape and form him into who we want him to be. Our creative team got to thinking about this. Take a look. Are you tired of complicated toys with tons of directions telling you what to create and how to create it? Introducing the new Play-Doh Jesus. Finally, you are in control. Play-Doh Jesus is whatever Jesus you want him to be. I've created my Play-Doh Jesus in my own image. Look, he looks just like me. All Play-Doh Jesuses look like twins. You are the potter and Jesus is the clay. And if you don't like your creation, you can just tear them apart and start over. And when you're tired of Play-Doh Jesus watching over you, you can roll them back up into a ball and put them away for three days. What are you doing with your Play-Doh Jesus? I'm using the extra dough to make bread so he can feed the 5,000. Extra dough sold separately. My Play-Doh Jesus uses the force and looks like a Jedi. What does your Play-Doh Jesus do? 
My Plato Jesus brings my family comfort and prosperity as we live out our heretical Christian spin on the American dream. Plato Jesus is not sold in stores. Plato Jesus is not recommended for any child who has actually read the Bible. Order now. He's Plato Jesus from Nasbro. The things that get applause. <laughs> now, don't go onto Amazon and try to order that, okay? I don't think you'll find it. And we laugh, but I wonder if maybe we do that more than we realize. You know, you know sometimes I think maybe we mold Jesus into safety net Jesus. Anybody ever read the book, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, maybe when you were a kid? Yeah, I read that book, but it scared me to death. Because the Where the Wild Things Are, those animals in that were like my version of hell when I was a kid. Seriously. And so I shaped Jesus when I was a kid into someone who would provide me a safety net from a hell and having to face the wild things. Absolutely true. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting over that to this day. But, you know, I think a lot of us maybe shape Jesus into that as an adult. You know, we think of Jesus as a safety net, you know, to keep us out of whatever hell version we've created in our minds. Other times, I wonder if maybe we shape Jesus into good luck charm Jesus. You know, years ago, I used to know a guy who started coming to church whenever the stock market was down. True story. Nice guy. And he'd keep coming until the market rebounded. And then he'd stop showing up again. Maybe that's why we haven't seen him for a while. I don't know. <laughs> but I felt like for him, Jesus was sort of a good luck charm. You know, something he wanted when things weren't going so well. Or maybe when he found himself in a tough spot. Or how about this one? Dash button Jesus. You know what a dash button is? Who knows what a dash button is? All right, it's those buttons that you can buy from Amazon. You place them in various locations throughout your house. And whenever you run out of a product, you press the button and Amazon immediately sends you that product. Have you seen that? It's kind of a new thing. I think we have a picture of them. My friend has a dash button for Pop-Tarts. That would be very dangerous, wouldn't it? But I don't know. Dash button Jesus is mostly about getting what you want when you want it. Now, I had to think about this for myself. And I kind of happened to think, you know, for me... You know, I probably tend to shape Jesus more into kind of a buddy Jesus, you know, sort of a friend Jesus. You know, I want him around. I know my life is way better when he's in the mix, but, you know, when he starts to kind of put demands on my time and my priorities and maybe my resources or, or pushes back and wants me to make some changes in my life, I kind of want to put him back in the container, right, until I need my friend again. Maybe you can relate. But whatever shape you try to mold Jesus into... Chances are the very moment that no longer works for you, you kind of roll them up, smash them up, put them back in the container and create a Jesus more to your liking. And see, when we do this, what we're doing is we're creating a Jesus that we created, not the real Jesus. We're creating a Jesus we created, not the real Jesus. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and put uh, your Play-Doh back in the container. Okay, we're going to come back to that later, but go ahead and put it back in the container. See, today we're starting a brand new series called Radical Life. And in this series, we're going to challenge every one of us to ask, am I following the real Jesus? You know, the writer of Hebrews from the New Testament declares this. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
See, Jesus is always consistent, never changing, always loving, always kind, always full of grace and peace, always. And yet Jesus is also way more radical, I think, than we realize. And he ushered in a completely captivating and sort of upside down way of living that was completely irresistible to the people he encountered. And see, here's something we got to get, all right? Here's something I got to get. I think we all got to get. We can't mold Jesus into our own liking. You see, Jesus wants to mold and shape us into the people he created us to be. Isaiah the prophet writes, oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. And so over the next several weeks, we want you to ask, am I following the real Jesus? Am I following the real Jesus? Am I letting him mold me and make me into who he wants me to be? Or do I keep trying to reshape him into who I want him to be? You know, in in Jesus' day, the nation of Israel was in a very tough spot. I mean, they were under the rule of a foreign power that was occupying their land. I mean, Rome had taken the keys to the kingdom and the Israelites were, were pretty much powerless to fight them. I mean, Rome was this like overwhelming force that, and, and Israel was just like this pressure cooker of social unrest. I mean, if you think our political situation is is heated right now, I mean, just imagine how you would feel if we were not only unhappy with our government, but but if it was controlled by an oppressive foreign power. I mean, that's what Israel found themselves in when Jesus was alive. And so what does all this have to say or do with Jesus? Well, the people were hungry for revolution. They were looking for an anointed leader, a Messiah who would come and, and save them from their oppressors. You might say they wanted more than anything, a military Jesus. Yeah, military Jesus. And as the crowd started to gather around Jesus, I mean, so did the rumors. And so the, room, the word on the street was that Jesus was the one who was going to save them from Rome, the one who would lead them to this military victory that they so wanted and a, and a victory that would reestablish Israel forever. But as we know, I mean, they completely misunderstood Jesus. I mean, they had shaped an image of the Messiah that Jesus was simply not fitting into. I mean, God had promised Israel a once and for all rescue, but while Israel wanted a military Jesus to save them from Rome, I need somebody to save me from my microphone. Jesus came to win a much bigger battle. See, Jesus came to defeat all of the destructive forces in our world and ultimately make right everything that had or ever will go wrong. On multiple occasions when the people tried to shape Jesus into military Jesus, he would say some radical stuff that completely flew in the face of who they wanted him to be. All right, for example, Luke, the doctor and historian, he records this interaction. Follow along with me. A large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around and said to them, if you wanna be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, just look at those words of Jesus for a moment, okay? Kind of let that sink in a little bit. I mean, by comparison, hate your father and mother, brother and sister, even your own life, carry your own cross. I mean, that's not sounding much like the military Jesus they were hoping for, is it? And and just imagine the effects that these words had on Jesus' listeners. I mean, when the only thing they knew of a cross was a tool of torture. I mean, the cross meant a horrific and painful death. 
And so they began to realize, okay, this is no military Jesus. He's not going to rally us to go crush our oppressors. He's actually inviting us to come and die. And yet at the same time, Jesus was also saying, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I mean, think, how could that possibly be true? How could Jesus call people to come and die in one breath and then say that he came to bring them life in the next? It seems almost like, you know, kind of an, an oxymoron or, you know, a paradox where you have two contradictory things next to each other, you know, like uh, jumbo shrimp or act naturally or Microsoft works. <laughs> Couldn't resist, sorry. But you know, I mean, on another occasion, Jesus states this seeming contradiction. Take a look at this. He says... This, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I mean, again, a paradox. I mean, how do you give up your life while at the same time save it? Yet Jesus would go on to demonstrate how this paradox was true. He died, what? So that we could, help me out, live. He gave up his life so that we could have life to the full. He lived a radical life, not of power, but of mercy, not of privilege, but of service, not of conquest, but of sacrifice. And he challenges us to follow him, to pick up the cross of selflessness in order to find the life that is truly life, to live a radical life. You know, one of the privileges of being a pastor here is that I get to see many people that are living radical lives. Uh, Stories of selflessness, sacrifice, service. And yet if you ask the people that are living them, they will tell you without a doubt that what they are experiencing is a life that is truly life. We wanted to share one of those stories with you today. Watch this. My name is Mike Ivancich, and this is my wife, Jill. We have four children. And we've been coming to Community Christian Church since 1992. I was working in the city, commuting every day, and um, past this young woman sitting at Wacker and Adams every day. And it really drew me in where I wanted to to get to know her. Then I'd walk past her. And usually the rest of the the block that I would walk, I would badmouth myself. You're so selfish, you won't stop. Why won't you do this? Until I got to the next block and then it was meetings and work and I was on. Probably spring or summer of 2013, we did a series at church called Get Off Our Donkey. I was sitting with two of my children at that time and one on each side, they began talking. They both looked at me. And as my son looked at me at one point, he goes, hmm, I think it's the Holy Spirit, mom. I think you need to get off your donkey. So I finally stopped one day and I had a yogurt and bananas and carrots, whatever I could find in my refrigerator. So we sat and began to talk. I found out she was pregnant, started asking all the normal questions. It wasn't until we were actually in the city on November 11th, she had uh, texted me, I guess, and said, the baby's born. And I looked at Mike and I said, I feel like we need to go. You know, I think at this point, I didn't feel as invested. I remember just kind of looking at her and going, okay, let's go. I think, you know, I'm just the driver in your movie, Jill. Let's go. There was a, uh, a first connection. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to not, you know, have feelings when, you know, you're meeting a, a baby for the first time and then also meeting, you know, uh, Ariana, who I had you know, heard so much about, and then her husband. And I knew a little bit about his background. We were there to visit, and, you know, 
We were there to help if needed. So I started planning what I thought God's mission was. We'll get them work, we'll get them friends, we'll surround them with community, and we'll support them so these three can go off and live their own family. And truly, that was Mike and Jill's plan. The baby was in our house since she was two days old. Um, she was born addicted to heroin and uh, screamed <laughs> nonstop for several, several months. I was traveling for work, and I was in China, and I got a phone call from my husband and kids on Skype where they said, they're gonna take that baby and we've been invested. Can we move them into your house? I think it was at that point where I might have been sitting on the fence and sort of feeling like a, sort of a side player, you know, in the situation. I, I was like, no, it's, we need to bring them into our house and we need to do it, you know, we need to do it as quickly as possible. So after the Hallmark movie <laughs> ends and things, reality sets in, they started bringing people into our home they were stealing. They both were arrested for a multitude of things, weren't going to any of the doctor's appointments, counseling, or drug testing. It became apparent to not even so much us, but the courts. They uh, render the parents unfit, and then they remove their parental rights. And, and our heart changed during that time as well, too. It's like, we need to protect this baby. We were having conversations about uh, retirement, you know, in the coming years. We have three grown children. For me, it was, and for us, you know, we would talk about, you know, reconnecting and finding that uh, renewed independence. And so going from selfish to selfless, it was like, okay, the selfish thing is this is about, you know, moving on in, in our retirement years. But the selfless thing is this little girl needs a family and we are her family. God's plan was never for us to rehabilitate a family and, and to put it in motion, but God's plan was for this little girl. And at that point, I never knew I needed something as much as I needed her. And we needed her. So we went through a long process, and then on September 14th in 2017, um, we were officially on paper, her parents. Her house is her house, and she loves it and loves her brothers and sisters and her family. And so while September 14th is on paper the day that she became an advantage, I think she's been an advantage the whole time. Not the way we, you know, drew it up, but it's the way, you know, God drew it up. see in this family. I mean, these are people who are no longer forming Jesus into the shape they want him to be. And I truly believe instead they're letting Jesus shape and mold them and their lives into who he created them to be. And there's so many more. You know, when I think of someone living a radical life, I can't help but think of uh, Patrick and Nancy O'Connell. You see Patrick on stage sometimes and you know, Patrick had a nice career in wealth management, but since God calling him to leave that work and go help to start a new church in Kansas City. And people thought he was crazy. He quit his job. They raised support for themselves, moved to Kansas City, started that church. That church eventually had several locations reaching, you know, about a thousand people. They started a church planting network in that city. 
Eventually he moved back here and now he's the global director for New Thing and is impacting literally 1,500 churches across the globe. See, that's what it looks like to live a radical life. When I think of someone living a radical life, I also think of Luke Wentz. Luke's a sophomore in high school and in the next couple of years, maybe one of the best cross country runners in the state. And he's leveraging that influence with his team, his cross country team, and he's starting an alpha course for the team. No pressure, it's just guys that he loves and he's welcomed them to join him for an alpha course in hopes that they will eventually find their way back to God. He's got about 10 guys from his cross country team that are you know, showing up for his alpha course. And I just was talking to John, I ran into him in the hallway this morning and it turns out that I think nearly all of those guys are joining Luke at Blast next weekend. Yeah, I mean, that is a radical life. I mean, remember, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And I look at Mike and Jill and Patrick and Nancy and Luke, and I think they're living examples of what it looks like to give up your life for his sake. And you know, at community, we talk about this radical life as a journey where we grow deeper and deeper in three relationships. And this is not something we made up. I mean, we believe this is completely based on scripture and God's story and dream for all of us. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with others here in the church. And it's about our relationship with the world. And, and so we use three words to kind of help us remember and understand those relationships. And you've heard, many of you heard this before. Some of you, maybe not. Maybe it's the first time, but we use the word celebrate to, to talk about growing deeper in our relationship with God. When we use the word connect, we're, we're talking about what it looks like to grow in relationship with other Christ followers for encouragement and support. And when we use that word contribute, it's about how we collectively together as a, as a family of Christ followers can literally, literally restore God's dream for this broken and hurting world. And what many of us has found, you see, is that the more we give of ourselves to growing in these three relationships, the more we actually receive in return. See, Jesus' words are so true. And I know personally, even though I fight it so often, the more I try to hang on to what's not even mine in the first place, all the stuff that makes up my life right now, the more I lose the chance to experience the abundant and radical life that God so wants for me. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to explore what it looks like to live a radical life of celebrating, connecting, and contributing. And, and here's something else that's really awesome about this series. During the next four weeks, our kids and students are also going to be focused on the same big idea. Yeah, radical is the theme for this year's Stucco Blast. It's going to be a life-changing experience for our students. It is every single year. Rad is the name of our Kids City series that the children are starting today. But wait, there's more. <laughs> this is not an infomercial. Last year, we developed something called a 3C spiritual growth plan. And this plan includes an assessment that helps you discern next steps God may want you to take in these relationships. And today we're releasing an updated version and we'd love for everyone to take this assessment. You can see the website, communitychristian.org slash 3C. In fact, we'd love everyone to take this assessment every year and use it throughout the year to develop a growth plan. This 
ultimately is what we're about, helping people find their way back to God and living this life of celebrating, connecting, and contributing. And this series is gonna lead us to a time of commitment on January 28th, last day in this series. Be here for every week. Don't miss that one. We're gonna challenge everyone to commit to living this 3C radical Christ-following life. It's gonna be one of the most important days for our church in the entire year. I'll tell you what, do me a favor. Would you, let's just take a deep breath. I kind of need one, all right? On three, one, two, three. All right, thanks. That was as much for me as anything. Here's how I want to wrap this up. You know, Jim Elliott was a guy whose passion to live a radical life took him to some of the most remote places on the planet. As a matter of fact, uh, the very people that he sought to help and reach took his life. And Jim Elliott, he said something that sort of haunts me but at the same time, completely motivates me. And here's what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And here's the deal. You see, Jesus has a radical life dreamed up for every single one of us. And he wants us to experience an adventure with him that that includes risk-taking and and faith-stretching and an increasing dependence on the one who loved you so much, he would rather die than live without you. And so here's the question I have to ask you today, okay? Are you ready? Give me an out of the head. I have to ask you this question. You ready? It's not gonna stop me, but go ahead and nod your head anyway. (laughs) Here we go. Here, here's the question, okay? All right, the question, the question is this. What are you not willing to give up for the one who gave up everything for you? What are you not willing to give up for the one who gave up everything for you? See, I believe with all my heart, the thing that keeps most of us from living the most radical and fulfilling life possible is that we refuse to give up what we think will give us what we want. All right, I'm talking to myself as much as I talk to you right now. So what do we do? We shape Jesus and our lives into what we think will get us what we want. And so let me just ask you, what is it that you've not been willing to give up? I mean, what is it that, that, that kind of stands between you and living this radical life that God so wants for you? What is it? I mean, is it an image you're working overtime to maintain? I don't know, maybe it's a fear of failure or you're just kind of afraid of looking stupid. You know what? Honestly, I'll be real with you. Like, that's one of the things that I have a fear of more than anything else. It's failure and doing something that other people are like, oh, that's so stupid. Why, you know, and, and looking like an idiot. Some of you are going, you shouldn't worry about that. It's too late. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's me. What is it the standard between you and the life God so wants for you, this radical life? Is it a standard of living? Maybe it's some sort of you know, power or influence you've been able to attain. Is it status or popularity? Maybe, maybe it's an address, a residence. Is it a comfortable future, your retirement? I mean, what are you holding on to? What do you need to give up so that you can gain what you cannot lose? See, this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you give up your life for my sake, all right, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
And I know that sounds a little bit out of whack. I mean, like, how do you give up your life and at the same time save it? Well, here's how it works. See, the self that Jesus wants me to give up is the lesser version of myself that I keep holding on to. And all those things that I mentioned, that list of stuff we tend to hold on to, like me looking stupid, all right? That's a lesser version of myself. That's what he wants me to give up. Jesus wants to give you a new self, a new life, a life full of adventure, risk-taking and radical selflessness. I mean, I look at Mike and Jill and Patrick and Nancy and Luke, and I think, man, those stories, those people, they're just a little bit crazy. That's sort of how I feel. But you know what? I know there are moments when they were taking steps towards whatever it looked like for them to live a radical life where they were kind of wondering, am I doing the right thing? They were questioning it, I know. But when they look back now, I know they look back and say, you know what? I wouldn't trade this radical Christ-following life for anything. So we're gonna celebrate communion. But here's something I want you to do first. I want you to take that hunk of clay out of the container again. All right, go ahead, take it out. Sometimes it's hard to get these out of the container. And here's what I want you to do, all right? And, and don't worry about being too creative. This time, I want you to shape this hunk of clay into something that represents whatever it is that you're holding on to that's keeping you from living this radical life that God so wants for you. It may be symbolic, okay? Again, don't try to be an artist here. Just, what is it? Shape it into whatever it is that's, that you're holding on to that you... I'm having such a difficult time giving up because I want us to recognize that whatever we're holding on to is by default taking the place of the real Jesus because we're depending more on that than we are on the one who would die rather than live without us. And so I'm talking and praying, go ahead and just shape that plate into something that represents whatever it is that's keeping you from gaining what you cannot lose. And then we're gonna celebrate communion and remember the one who gave up his life so that we could experience his radical love and grace. All right, so you go ahead and shape that. I'm gonna say a prayer and then we're gonna celebrate communion. I'll explain that. God, thank you so much for giving up your life for us. And God, help me to to recognize now, what am I I holding on to? What do I need to give up so I can gain what I cannot lose? Father, thank you for coming to earth and living life and experiencing what we're experiencing and then yet knowing full well you were gonna go to the cross and die and yet you came back to life. So thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for the hope that it brings. Thank you for the opportunity we have to live a radical and fulfilling life. We pray this in your name, amen.